Thank you for joining us here on Easter. We have, of course, our members. We have those who attend. We have family who are connected to others. So I want to welcome all of you uh, who are taking time out of a Sunday like this to join us. At the end of our service, in fact, uh, kind of after we complete this portion in the room, we will go outside right over here and celebrate baptisms. And I want to encourage all of you to stick around those extra 10, 15, 20 minutes and just hear uh, these testimonies and celebrate those baptisms and be a part of that celebration of people identifying themselves with the risen Lord Jesus. So uh, Christians are uh, a resurrection people. We're a resurrection people. That, 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 that is where our hope comes from. That is what we're looking forward to. In fact, in the book of Acts, that is what they were getting so mad at the Christians about. They were getting mad at the Christians because they would walk around preaching the resurrection. That, you, that the way things are aren't always going to be this way. And that through the work of Jesus, there's going to be an entirely new heaven and new earth and new bodies. And for those who have faith, they too will have new bodies. They were getting mad and trying to kill disciples who were proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. Well, that's a weird thing. I was, I was talking to a friend even uh, recently, and this is a, a years-long kind of position I've held where people will get really interested in knowing maybe where does your church stand on this issue and where does your church stand on that issue. And I'm like, you know, here's a weird one. We believe in a guy from Nazareth <laughs> who was fully God and fully man who died for us and rose from the dead and that in whom, through faith, we too will be able to both have the forgiveness and freedom from our sins, and we're going to rise too, right? I know you want to know how we might feel about some specific issue, but let's start with the fact that we believe somebody rose. Somebody rose from the dead, and that we're going we're gonna to get that too. Of all the beliefs that we might hold and all the pieces, like, that's the one, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. When we teach our member class, we ask this question very often, what is the gospel? We'll ask that question to people coming in, and when you ask that question, it's very often that people realize they've actually never had to articulate it. And so we go, what is the gospel? And, and the answers we get are things like this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I, I totally know why you would say that, but those are the gospels. That would be the telling of the work of Jesus. Uh, somebody would say, uh, be kind to others, that that is the gospel, or, or be loving, or that we should care for others. But when you actually go to, for example, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the first few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 give a succinct definition of the gospel, which essentially says this, that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures, <laughs> that he was buried, that he rose on the third day, in accordance with the scripture, and he appeared to a bunch of people that they saw him, that it wasn't hidden Jesus. Going, well, no, he really rose. I never saw him, no. And he took lists, you know, and they saw this person, this person, and lots of people saw them. And then Paul even goes, and he appeared to me as someone untimely born. We are a resurrection, hope-filled, recognize that this world is not all there is kind of people. Now, 
Think about the past year. In fact, it was a year ago, uh, Matt, our worship pastor, and I were up in a room in there, like right up there in what is the balcony that's not really a balcony, it's just another room. We were right up in there with a phone, and that phone was faced on us, and we were doing Easter on Facebook Live. That was Easter last year. Good Friday last year was me interviewing my friend Chris on a Zoom call. Like, like we, we, it was just a different year. So I just, just think back, right, from now. It's April 2021. Think back to March, April 2020, and a lot has happened, hasn't it? I mean, sometimes I don't think we've actually just felt that. We haven't recognized all that's gone on. Not just for me, or not just for you, but for our world. For our world. Everyone. I mean, you can't usually say everyone and mean it. Everyone has been disrupted. Everyone. Some significantly, others less significantly, but everyone's been disrupted. Travel has been disrupted. Things have been different. You've had to think differently or act differently or talk differently. You've had different things in your head and your mind that perhaps you have never had before. People you love have died. Some of you couldn't be beside them as they died. You couldn't, you couldn't grieve with them. You, you couldn't tell them, the Lord is with you. You couldn't have those conversations. You were just waiting for the call. That was it. Why? Because life's been disrupted. It's been disrupted. At the same time, and you can hear kids crying in the past year, some people have had children. Others have lost children. Others are still waiting for children. Easter 2020 and Easter 2021 are, are drastically different from a temporal perspective. And, and thinking back, what has gone on? I still think of the people even in our church, if you're not a member here, just like anybody else, with people in our church who have new careers because their prior one doesn't exist anymore. That 12 months has changed the trajectory of families' lives. Everyone has been affected. And there has been a lot in a given year that keeps our minds on the things of this world that can distract us from the most significant things. You've likely been there too. Even the one who is, you know, walks the most closely with Jesus probably has found themselves getting caught up in news cycles and election stories and what's happening here, and counting numbers, and looking at graphs, and becoming experts in things you're not really experts in. We've all done that. You realize, man, I'm really giving myself up over to things that don't last. I'm really allowing things to affect me that don't have consequences that reverberate into eternity. 
I'm thinking about this like anybody else would think about this. I'm not thinking about this like a person who grasps and holds on to and has been changed by the news of an empty tomb. That resurrection changes us now and it changes us later. Both of those things are true. That as a resurrection people, we want to see how does it change us now? How does it change us later? You heard uh, the first passage in Romans chapter 6. We'll also be in a portion of 1 Corinthians 15 for now and for later. How does the resurrection change us now? Well, Romans 6, we'll start with that. Romans 6, actually I was talking to a friend and I said, you know, I, I, I need a good Easter passage. There are lots. Um, but something that, that I, maybe I haven't done before. And he's like, oh man, I love Romans 6. So let me look at it. Romans 6 is really about the, the, <laughs> the gracious gift of not being enslaved to sin anymore that comes through Jesus. That's what it's about. Romans 6, 1 through 14, explains to the Christian that because Christ has done what he's done and you have been identified with him, because of that, he has rendered powerless sin over you. That you are not a slave to Sin, you're not under law, you're under grace. And he's using that to explain how the Christian needs to view their identity differently than someone from this world. That you need to believe what is true about you and not what is false. But it's rooted in what Jesus has done for you, for me. These first four verses give us the beginning of that identity statement, and you see how it is rooted in Christ. We've learned previously in Romans that we are now forgiven, and that grace is good. So Paul's going to ask that question in verse 1. Well, then, because of that, right, that if, 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 if grace covers sin, then more sin covers, is covered by more grace. And if grace is a good thing, then sinning more means grace gets more. So let's do that. So he's anticipating how his audience is going to feel about it, and he asks this question. Well, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Which is a reasonable question that, that many people ask. Like, well, if it's a good thing, let, and if sinning makes it, in a sense, you know, it doesn't really make it, then let's produce more sin so that we can experience more grace. No, he says, by no means. And then he starts to talk about what has happened. Uh, how can we who died to sin, and sin doesn't mean in this the specific actions that you do, but the power that is opposed to God in his ways. How can we who have died to sin as that authority that it is gone, how can we continue to live in it? When we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, we said it like this, right? That like, you can't be healthy and unhealthy at the same time. Right? A healthy tree bears good fruit, and a sick tree bears bad fruit, and you'll know a tree by its fruits. That, that How can we who have had something fundamentally change in us, how can we still live that way? 
So he speaks, he goes, we can't live this way. Let me tell you why you died to it. And then he gives you this statement. And it's a knowledge statement in verse 3. Do you not know? Are you not aware of what has happened? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. You ever think of that? The Father raises the Son. By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That we walk differently because of the resurrection that we live differently because of the resurrection. That we think differently because of the resurrection. Now, often for early believers, their baptism was closely tied to their conversion. Now, there isn't like, you, don't, you can't read into the New Testament and go, okay, exactly how much time is supposed to pass between, you know, profession of faith and baptism. You're not going to find that statement. So all you do is look at it and you say, okay, well I see that many people who believed then were baptized. And you follow the book of Acts for that. that and they believed and they were baptized about this many people. And they believed and they were baptized about this many people. And that happens multiple times in the book of Acts, which is the book that the church looks to to see how the spirit of Christ ministered after his ascension through the church. And so, very often, conversion and baptism seemed like a single event. Theologically, they are not, right? Because baptism doesn't save. But they were viewed often just almost simultaneous because you find these links throughout. And so he's using that type of link. Well, hey, he's assuming, right, that, that there's really no such thing as an unbaptized Christian because that's what, that's the way they followed it, that if you have professed faith in Jesus, you identify yourself with him, that that's the movement that you make. And so he was saying, well, you've been baptized into him. You've been identified, use that word, you've been identified with Jesus, and that's the way that you're identified through baptism. So you were baptized, brought down into his death, which is right in a sense symbolizing his descent into the grave. So you were brought down into that, but you didn't stay there. You didn't stay there. You were raised in newness of life. And he's taking even that movement that happens in the Christian to say, this, this identifies what has happened in you. That there's been a fundamental change in who you are. Because just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That resurrection, I'll say it like this, resurrection power is also for now. That because Christ rose from the dead, the Christian is able to live differently, think differently, laugh differently, weep differently now. Here are some examples. Our pain is a different kind of pain.
What do I mean? Everybody is trying to figure out what happens when you die. Everybody. Some will say, nothing. Nothing happens. You just, you just kind of end. You cease to exist. You began existing and you stop existing. Well, you might go, oh, well, you haven't really thought about it. No, they thought about it. And they've said, no, there's no more. Some think, so long as the good things that you do outweigh the bad things that you do, not realizing that goodness and badness are qualities that are inherent to you, and they're not actually behaviors, right? That goodness and badness are different. They're, they're qualitative. They're not quantitative in that I count them. And so we go, oh, you just take the good things that you do, and as long as there's at least one more good thing than bad thing, I'll be okay. And I'll go to wherever it is I go, but I'll go to the good version of it. Well, here's the funny thing. Most everybody in this room, if that's really the thing that you hold to, somehow it's always going to turn out that you have more good than bad. Why? Because who wants to admit that they're bad? They go, oh, so, so we use phrases like this. Well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Of course we all mess up. So when you experience death, you go, oh, i got to figure out what to do with that. Do good things so you'll be, somehow, something will happen later that's okay. Some answer the question, but go, you'll be reincarnated. You'll come back as an animal. The better you live, perhaps the better you come back. Everyone's trying to answer the question. Everyone. What does the Christian do? Hope. They don't guess. They don't wonder. They don't say, I really hope that I did enough good things. Because they know you can't. They don't say, I really, I really hope that, that I, I was nice enough. That I ate enough vegetables. That I was happy enough. That I was good enough to my teachers. They don't say that. Because when we experience pain in this life or death in this life, we go, in a sense, they get to live now. And we still look for what is to come. The Christian, because of the resurrection, gets to be the joy-filled, hopeful person that doesn't look at death and go, I don't know what's going to happen. I've shared this before, I'll share it again. A couple of times a year I do. The hardest funerals to do as a pastor are the funerals of children with their parents still around. And I've said this before. I've done this with infants. I've done this with 20-year-olds who are killed in a car accident and their mom is present. I've done this for my own mother with my grandmother who is still alive burying her 65-year-old daughter. The difference between what's heavy and what is light is not the event. It's the faith of the people who are participating. That's the difference. That when people recognize who Jesus is and what he's done, 
they might have only gotten one week with their son or with their daughter or 20 years or 65 years, but that isn't their ultimate concern because they can still say God is good because Jesus is alive. We can walk in newness of life because Jesus is alive. We can look at pain differently because Jesus is alive. We can hope differently and rejoice differently because Jesus is alive. Our relationship to sin has changed. This is hard for us. Because we'll use this phrase, and we kind of use it colloquially, but we go, oh, I'm just a sinner. And I know what you mean. And what you usually mean is, I'm a person who sins. But if you don't know, look at that, do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ are baptized into his death? We are baptized into his death in order that uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. That you have a different relationship to sin than somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That your sin doesn't identify you. It doesn't. You might still sin. Might is probably an understatement. You definitely still sin. But before the Lord, because of Jesus, it doesn't mark you in the same way that it does before faith in Christ. Because again, it is not, remember this, it is not the things you do It is the transformation that has been done that matters. And if we live as if we have to still be sure that we do more good than bad so that God approves, then we don't recognize that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Not might be, not could be, but the application of that new life still goes, there's a recognition element to what we do. That we have to speak and encourage one another in the identity that's true. That when we hear another brother or sister go, I just can't shake this thing. I just, this is just who I am. You say, I know why you say that. But that's not who you are. You're a different person because of what Jesus has done. But not only that, our joy is fuller. Because there's things we don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about dying. You don't even have to worry about how you die. Jesus uses this phrase. It always sticks with me. He he says, why would you fear man? All they can do is kill you. Rather, why don't you fear the one who could kill you and send you to hell? That's the one, you should, don't fear the one who can just end your life. Fear the one that you might be separated from forever. My worst enemy is my worst enemy until one of us dies. Unless that enemy is God. And in that instance, that one lasts. When I live opposed to God, when I have not trusted in the work of Jesus, then I stand condemned. I don't have new life. But through the work of Jesus and faith in that work, what happens? 
instantaneous. I'm a friend of God. I'm not an enemy. I was a sinner. Now I am, would you say a saint? I was separated. Now I'm eternally connected because of the work of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. I might walk in newness of life. I live differently now. I look, past, look back on the past 12 months differently now because a new life, a changed person, looks differently on the things of this world, the trials of this world, the struggles of this world. But it is so hard sometimes when we live in a world and we have phones that buzz at us and they're like, look here, look here, look here, look here. And they're trying to get our attention to go everywhere. That we don't actually look to our Savior. Have you, I mean, this is like a common movie trope. When everything's going on around you and it's all terrible and there's a, a parent and their child and what do they do? But they grab their child by the head and they're like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look only at me, look only at me, right? They're just trying to say, look right here. Don't worry about anything else that is going on. It is you and me. And for the Christian, that's what we're able to do. Yes, it's hard. The past year has been hard. Yes, lives have been changed. Yours, mine, everybody's has been disrupted, but... When we look to our Savior who has given us new life that we might walk in it, it changes all of how we view it. We live differently now. And we live differently later. This is, this is, just, this is the awesome thing about God is that he's always moving somewhere but at the same time, he's not just like, well, everything's going to be miserable for now, but it's going to be great later. I think that's sometimes how we feel as Christians, is we go, oh, well, that, that's great. Everything can stink now, but later it's good. No, it's good now. But it's moving to better. It's moving to better. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, same guy who wrote Romans, and Paul was a guy who was killing Christians. Isn't that crazy? He was killing Christians. He didn't like their message. He didn't like their Savior. And then he encountered the risen Lord, and it changed him. In 1 Corinthians 15, he is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's trying to help them understand the significance of the resurrection, that there was confusion over the resurrection. And, and what they meant uh, often was that the, our resurrection, the fact that the Lord is remaking, that we will rise, that we will have new bodies that don't break, that we won't be thinking about sin. It'll be gone from our minds. And he talks to the Corinthians about that day and that time. And he says it like this, starting in verse 50. He says, I, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, meaning the life that you now see, the body that you now see, this person. You can use the word corporeal if you want, you know, a, a word. 
this corporeal body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you might get confused there and go, wait a minute, I thought I was, thought I was a part of it. I was a citizen. I thought I was in. He's talking about resurrection. I can't get in like this. Something different has to happen in me. I need something different. So flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does, and this is how you see it, the perishable inherit the imperishable. This body breaks down. This body gets scars. This body hurts. I was talking to one of my kids, and we have scars, and we share our scar stories. And it was Good Friday last year that uh, one of my kids went too fast down a hill. And he wanted to, and I'm the dad. I'm like, of course, go as fast as you want. So he goes down a hill and hits a bump, and he's six, and hills at six are a little different. We're on a road, not dirt, not grass. Sure, go down a hill. Hits a bump. I'm watching this, you know, all of a sudden this happens, and then chin to the concrete. Six, five, six ditches later. How many was it? Six. Six stitches later, you know, Good Friday, peak COVID, right? We're all freaking out. They're the urgent care, getting stitched up, you know, wearing a bubble suit. <laughs> and um, we were talking about it this week, about Good Friday, because it's kind of a, it's, even though the date changes, you know, the memory of Good Friday and busting your chin open, and we talk about scars. Now, in our bodies, they have scars. It's great that God made our bodies to have scars heal that's really great. What's going to be greater is to have bodies that don't scar. Where the marks on a body that we will see are the marks on Jesus' resurrected body, the constant reminder that he died for our sins. The perishable, the one that gets cut up and scarred, it doesn't inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Something that you had not known before. We shall not all sleep, which is his word about death. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Jesus, our first fruits. And then we follow in him. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came, who died, who rose, and who is coming again. Thanks be to God who changes us entirely. This is how we know that this life is not all there is. 
if this life is all that there is, I don't know about you, but I'm sorely disappointed. This is it? We just randomly came into this existence? I tell you what, if this life is all that there is, everybody here needs to just go home. Eat, drink, be merry. I got to find a new job. Because if this life is all that there is, then there is no reason to gather Sunday after Sunday and worship a Lord who actually isn't risen. I mean, I don't just need this to feel good about myself. I don't think you do either. There are plenty of other places that you could be. Plenty of other things that you could be doing. If this isn't going to happen, then this is a farce. If Christ isn't coming back, if I don't get that new body, if those scars aren't gone, if sin isn't fully and totally dealt with, why play the game? But yet, but yet, for centuries, for centuries, Believers have gathered, they have worshipped, they have proclaimed, they have been baptized, they have taken communion, they have been martyred because they're looking for a new place and they know that it is coming. In the book of Acts, there's this Jewish leader who, they're all trying to figure out what to do with this new way. And they don't have a word for it yet, really, because it's like the, most of the conversions early in the book of Acts are Jewish people. And so they don't really, they just start worshiping differently, but a lot of their rhythms stay the same. And so that's why you read in Acts chapter 2 that they're in the temple courts and they go from house to house because we're Jewish people and we go to the temple and so we kind of live this life. Now it wasn't until 70 AD that the temple was destroyed and you didn't really have that spot anymore. And there's a scattering that goes out through persecution early in the book of Acts where believers now start to scatter about. But a lot of their worshiping life was the same. And there were these religious leaders who were trying to figure out what to do with these guys. And one of them says, hey, 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 he kind of tries to calm the meeting down. Gamaliel, I believe is his name, right? And he says, do you remember when this guy rose up and tried to take disciples after himself? That ended. Do you remember when so-and-so rose and he, he tried to do this and 100 people went with him? Do you remember that? And he says, I think we need to leave this movement alone. Because if it's not real, it'll die. And if it is real, we don't want to be found opposing God. So let's not do that. What year is it? 2021? Who's here? People who are a part of the same movement. And think about it. Just think about this. You could trace your story back to Jerusalem. You can, you just follow the tree. You'll get there. 
a conversation, a story, a conversion, you're going to get back to a group of people who took the resurrection seriously and the work of Jesus seriously, and they took their sin seriously, and they asked forgiveness, and they took their hope seriously, and they took the command to go and make disciples seriously. And because people have been taking it seriously since the ascension and sending of the Spirit, we're here. Two reactions to that news of the resurrection changing us now, the resurrection changing us later. Two reactions. Repent or rejoice. And if you repent, then you can rejoice. So some of you get two. Repent means to turn from your way of living. Recognize that you are not the savior of this world and that your sin is serious. And you turn to a resurrected Lord and you say, not my way, but yours. You took my sin. Forgive me. And this is the great thing unlike what anybody else in this world does, is there become no hoops to jump through. <clears throat> There's no, well, if you, I need you to feel really bad for a while. Maybe just, you've sinned for a long time, so maybe just like three months of feeling bad. Kind of like severance, right? We'll give them one month for every year they've been here. So for every year you've existed in sin, one month of feeling bad. That's not how it works. Fully totally changed through faith in Jesus at that moment. The Spirit is there. You have new life. You are a new person. That happens through that work. So if you have not made that step, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your experience. Here's the crazy thing. Doesn't matter your sin. Which I don't really like personally because... I want you to feel bad for some of the stuff you've done for a while. The conviction of sin, though, that comes in and moves us to the cross, we all stand forgiven through faith in Jesus. We are able to come to him. And so first move is to repent, to change. Right? Repentance is that turning. And that first turning that often happens is a, is a turning of mind. From, I thought this was the way, and now I realize it's not, and it's, it's Jesus. I thought it was me, but it's the resurrected Lord. And that comes through faith. We've talked about this before, that faith kind of has elements to it, that, that it's not just knowing something. If it was knowing something, then we'd all be great. That there has to be something to be known, so there's that information the information in this instance is that Christ died for you and rose from the dead. Then there's the knowledge that you go, okay, I, 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 can, I, I can ascertain that. I understand what you're saying when you say it. So there's information, then there's understanding. And those two make a lot of sense for us. Because if I said Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead in a language that you've never heard and that you can't speak, well, what good am I doing for you? No good. I'm not helping you. So there has to be the information given and us being able to go, I understand what that is. And then that third piece that we've spoken of before is trust. And that's the hard one. That's the hard one. It, it, it kind of closes the faith 
equation in a sense. Because that's when you actually go, not only do I see it and hear it, but I'm actually going to make a decisive move toward it. <laughs> I'm going to release control of my life. I'm going to let go. We've illustrated it like this, that, that if you're hanging off of a cliff by one hand, and, and I shall say I show up. We won't put it on an angel. I show up and I go, Rock, do you believe that I'm here and I can help you? And of course you're like, yes, yes, I, of course you can help me. I go, okay, the next thing you have to do is let go. And you're like, I don't know if you can help me. Right? Because what are you trying to do? You're trying to hold on to what has currently given you comfort and then grab on to the next thing. You can't hold on to both of those things. And this is the scary part about trusting Jesus is it demands your life. And you don't even really know what that means as you get into it. <laughs> you go, oh, this is, what my, this is what it means. This is what it means to give my life to the Lord. My kids too? I didn't even think my kids were a part, right? And it's so the way I put it sometimes is like it's like one gigantic yes to the Lord and a bunch of smaller yeses as you go through your life. Where you go, okay, and that, 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 right? It's that constant move of submission to him. And so we turn and that gift is available to all because Christ rose. We do not worship a dead man, but a risen one. And then, what do we get? That other word, rejoice. There are times, and you, you might even, as we sing, uh, I, I say it like this, our, sometimes our, even our praise is eschatological. And what I mean by that is it looks to the future. That we're singing things that we might not fully comprehend or even grasp, and it sometimes not even fully believe in that moment. That we have a hard time and go, I, I, I don't know if I can sing that word. I don't know if that, I, that doesn't represent me. And what I mean by it looks to the future is it's, it's almost looking into that day where it, you know it is fully true. That we're rehearsing for the time when these statements are said truly and fully and with conviction, without doubt, without concern, without the statement of, do I count in that? Am I really forgiven? All those doubts that creep in sometimes even as you sing, and you go, I'm not sure that's me. Right? That we actually are proclaiming that reality that is true. We're singing things that are true. Because truth is not dependent upon us. Or our actions. That there are things that are true because they are true. And they're not true because I say it. If you poll me and through my life, there would be times I would tell you, no, that's not true. It didn't happen. It's probably not real. You don't need truth based upon me. God is knowable. You can look, you can read, you can find, you can see how he changes. Repent or rejoice. Both possible because of the resurrection. 